All right. Hey guys, what is up? It is just me today. Uh, Coach Britt has some team meetings, so it's just going to be me today. So sorry about that, but I am joined by a special fucking guest. She is one of my like idols, my inspirations, like literally like when I discovered her probably back in, I want to say 2019, um, I followed her. She embodied everything about, in my mind, femininity balanced beautifully with masculinity when it comes to the physique of just, you know, being a bodybuilder, being a female bodybuilder. And then she hosted a wonderful class, um, ABC to PEDs. And she was kind of like my first exposure when it came to trying to make sure that women's health was at the forefront when it came to PED usage. And I'm giving this huge introduction, but in case you guys couldn't get from just that, her name is Jamie Pender. So Jamie, thank you so freaking much for being on with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we kind of dive into women's health um, while on cycle and off cycle, I kind of want to know, how did you first get into bodybuilding? Like what was your like inspiration or your call to this world? So I actually was never an athlete growing up. I was like, I failed gym class. I was not like, you know, I, I always admired female athletes, but I was always told I was like too, like, you know, Jamie, you're too clumsy. You don't have coordination. You're never going to be a good athlete. So to be honest, like I just never really tried. So I was actually a like really bad alcoholic and I used to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. I was in construction um, and I was like, you know, running heavy machinery. I was out in the field with all the guys and I looked at my life and I looked at myself in the mirror and this was when I was 25. And I was like, this is not the person I want to be. And I ended up, you know, quitting drink. I wanted to quit smoking first, but I knew that every time I went to go drink, I would keep on smoking. So I ended up, you know, really quitting everything cold turkey. And, you know, when you're an alcoholic and what you do in your evening is drink all night, it's like, what do you do with all that free time? And I was really at that time, I wasn't overweight, but I was more like skinny fat. Um, You know, I was like naturally pretty strong because I worked in construction. Uh, And I, so I had all this free time and I'm like, what am I going to do now? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to start really like building the body that I really want. (laughs) And I started lifting with my brother and my dad and fell in love with just weight training in general. And then I met another competitor at the gym. She was actually a bikini competitor. This is when bikini first, this is when it first came out. Yeah. Uh, so she, she was doing Team U at the very first, uh, and that Team U that year was a very first show you could go pro and be bikini or in bikini. Uh, and so I went backstage with her. It was the first show I had ever seen. And at that time, there was no women's physique. There was figure, there was fitness and women's bodybuilding and bikini was brand new. So when I saw the figure girls, I was like, oh, that is what I'm going to do, you know, because they didn't have women's physique at that time. So that's really how I got immersed into the bodybuilding world was, you know, just going to the gym to get over my drinking. And that became kind of uh, kind of like my new addiction. Right. I feel like a lot of people who go into bodybuilding a lot of them are from addictive backgrounds, whether that be from eating disorders or uh, a lot of times it's drug and alcohol. Mm. You know, it really gives us somewhere else to focus our addictive behavior on. Uh, and 
it's a, I, I would say, you know, it's a little bit more healthy than some of those addictions. Sometimes we can go down a dangerous path and we end up really screwing our health just as bad in bodybuilding as we would if we were alcoholics. Um, so it's, uh, it was an interesting journey to bodybuilding, but for me, you know, like a lot of people who come from addiction in this sport, I really feel like bodybuilding saved my life. Um, I probably would still be, you know, an alcoholic at this point. I probably would still be in my own hometown doing construction, uh, you know, raising 2.5 kids in probably a very unhappy marriage and unhappy life. So uh, I'm really grateful for where bodybuilding has been able to bring me in my life for sure. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned that because last podcast, we talked about the National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And like you said, with addictive personalities, that was me, you know, like I was morbidly obese at 250 pounds and I was addicted to food. And then, you know, got out of a toxic relationship, wanted to lose weight, wanted to better myself, but then became addicted to losing weight. So then I developed anorexia and, you know, went through all of the eating disorders, not to brag, but it was just because- that was my addiction was like myself and food. And then, like you said, bodybuilding came in and I was able to take that negative self-hatred, but channel it into something where I'm able to work on myself and better myself, but come out of a place of self-love and self-appreciation because like we beat ourselves up in the gym, which means we have to give back to ourselves. So not only we can grow muscle, but also just so we can love on our physical beings as well. I hope you do education for women like who have eating disorders that go into bodybuilding, because I feel like that's even a topic that's not talked about enough Um, because in bodybuilding, and this is what I say to people that have never done bodybuilding and they want to do it is if you didn't have an issue with food before bodybuilding, you will have an issue with food after Uh, because I myself like my entire, like before I got into bodybuilding, I never had issues with food. I never I never even really like thought about how I managed food really like, you know, so, and then, you know, getting into bodybuilding, I definitely have like food complexes now uh, <laughs> where I like for me to even leave the house without having all my food packed. It's like how most people feel if they leave the house without their phone. Right. It's like, whoa, hold on. What do I do in the world? If I don't have my bodybuilding food with me, like 100%. you feel completely lost. So I think there's an interesting dynamic there where if someone who frames with the same mindset you have, body beca- bodybuilding becomes a healthy habit to overcome their eating disorder. But what I see with a lot of women, I know we're like getting off of like PEDs, but I feel like this is really interesting. And this is something that women really should be talking about um, is that, you know, a lot of times that like bodybuilding becomes an excuse to extend the eating disorder. And because eating disorders are about control, right? You're having control over your food. You have control over what you're doing with your body. And bodybuilding becomes becomes an extension of that. And they actually have more self-hate because now they're now they literally are putting themselves on stage to be judged by people. And it becomes like, you know, so it's like there are, I see these like two different routes that like people from eating disorders can go into when it comes to bodybuilding. And it's like, you're really lucky that you kind of have been able to manage on like a more positive side of that. Um, I like, I really hope that like part of your platform is really like helping women like manage to get into that really positive mindset and not go down that negative road. So 
um, really awesome that you're like willing to just be open and talk about that. I think that's what we really need in this industry for sure. Absolutely. I mean, we have to, like you've been open and honest about, you know, your PED usage and how it's affected your, you know, short-term and long-term health and virilization, which is stuff we're going to get into. But when did you first start using anabolics and like, why did you want to use them? Or essentially how did you, and I hate saying the dark side, but how did you cross over into, you know, the dark side of bodybuilding, which people, you know, kind of term it that way. So I was actually very fortunate because my first coach, which he wasn't really a coach. He was like, he, he owned the gym that I went to and he would help people with diets. So really like not even a real coach, but the one really great thing about him was, uh, and his name is Jerry uh, Montaneri. He owns a Montaneri gym up, powerhouse gym up in Connecticut. Um, absolutely love him. And one of the really amazing things that he did for me was he told me, he's like, you know, because my first, well, I started in bikini actually, <laughs> um, because people had told me, oh, you have to start in bikini. That's yeah. where you have to start. So I absolutely hated bikini. I am like, I'm a work boots and sneakers girl. Like me and heels was like a giraffe on ice skates. <laughs> absolutely hilarious to watch but like I like oh god like thinking about my posing is just like I like like cringe when I think of it but you know one of the things that Jerry told me was when I was like oh well what about Anavar what about Clan or what about all these other things and I had not even competed yet and Jerry was like you need to compete without any of those things to see what your body is capable of and not only that but you want to see if getting on stage and doing this is actually what you want. You've never done a show before. So he didn't want me to compromise anything in my health or my femininity or anything else without actually having the experience of doing a bodybuilding show, Uh, which I think is one huge mistake that a lot of competitors make is that, you know, they get into the gym for a couple months and they decide to do a bikini show or a figure or whatever it may be. And even before they've experienced bodybuilding, they have no idea what it's like to be on stage. They don't, they have no idea if they're going to like it. And they do things that might compromise their femininity and health for their entire lives uh, for something that they might get on stage and not like that experience at all. And that's okay. You know, that part of bodybuilding is really not for everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that was really one great thing for me in my journey was to have a coach that was like, Oh, no, 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 sweetheart. You got to put your time in. You've got to do these. You've got to do it naturally first. And I'll tell you what, like I ended up doing the boss, uh, the show in Boston, uh, the New England. And Mm. that's like a really big show up in New England. Most of the people who win New England's end up going to nationals and getting their pro card. Wow. Uh, So it's like a very competitive show. And it was my very first show I ever did, (laughs) which was a huge, huge mistake on my part. I ended up in like last place, but (laughs) You know, with with that being said, you know, I was not in the type of shape I needed to be in at all, but I'm really happy I had that experience because it really made me work that much harder. So it's like, I think a lot of women rush into the anabolics thinking, oh, but it's going to give me the result that I want the first time I'm, I'm on stage. You know what? Sometimes you failing that first time is going to be the thing that gives you the fuel to work so much harder the next time around without having to rely on drugs. Um, so I was lucky that I didn't get pushed into it. I then was with a bodybuilder, um, my ex-husband Gordon, for a long time. And I was with Gordon when I decided to make that switch into anabolics. And 
I was very lucky because I had him as a resource. He had been in bodybuilding since he was in his, like in his teens. He knew a lot about anabolics and, you know, he actually did not push me to do it. He really was like, you know, Jamie, if you're going to do this, I want you to write out like, why, why are you doing it? Like, what is it? Like, what are you going to get out of this sport? What are you going to get out of what you're doing? And he made me do a lot of research. And unfortunately, you know, back then, because that was in 2000 and like seven, eight, you know, back then we didn't even really have Instagram back then. Uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of the social media that we have now. And what most bodybuilders relied on for information was forums. And on the forums, you had tons of information for men. Men would talk openly about this stuff everywhere. But for women, even on the forums, it was very closed-lipped and it was very hard to get real-life information of what women were doing, what you know, how it was affecting them, um, and not only how it was affecting them in terms of their health and like their virilization, but how does that affect their lives? How does that affect their relationships with the people around them? Um, so I did as much research as I could. I'm very happy I had my ex there to kind of guide me and have me really think about the decision. And for me, what I knew at that point when I made that switch, and so the first time I ended up using anabolics was um, it was my third year competing as a bikini competitor. Um, and I ended up, I really should have done figure that year because I ended up way too hard, way too big, way too lean. And I told everyone, I was like, I need to do figure. And my coach at the time, he's like, no, you got to like work your way from bikini to, and I'm so like what rules were that. It's right. Like, and so it's like, you know, and that's why I tell my clients now is like, do the division that you want to do. Uh, because here's another thing is you're going to work 10 times harder for the division you want opposed to the division that you just feel like you fit into. Right. Um, so I ended up doing, uh, you know, a small cycle of like Anabar. Uh, and I think I did Nolvidex for that first cycle. Um, and I mean, I was really happy with my first result. I didn't, you know, didn't take it for an extended period of time. I was really, uh, you know, took a really low dose and I was really happy with what I ended up experiencing. Um, so for me, me going to that dark side, there were a couple things that I really knew for at that point was that I knew what was okay and not okay for me to compromise in my femininity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always kind of been more of a tomboy. I worked in construction most of my life. Of course, like you guys, if you guys have seen my new YouTube channel, I'm also have a very like girly side where I love makeup and hair and all that other stuff. Um, but there's definitely a part of me that was already okay with being seen as a little bit more masculine just because of the roles that I had in my life. Um, so kind of like compromising some of those things in my femininity were okay with me. Um, so for me, that decision was also, I knew at that point, I would say like, even when I was competing in bikini, I knew I was going to be an Olympian. And I knew that I would not only was I going to be an Olympian, but that I was going to be a damn good Olympian. Mm. And I think that's something that's really important for women to really think about when they're thinking about going into PEDs is where is your journey in bodybuilding going to bring you? Um, I knew right away once I started competing that I wanted to compete as a high level pro and that I wanted to make that part of my career. So I knew coaching was going to be my career. I knew that I was going to be in the industry for the long haul. And I also had an understanding that anything that I did in terms of bodybuilding was going to fuel 
everything else that I was doing in the rest of my life, right? So if I did really well in bodybuilding, that was going to help my career. That was going to help. And so if my career is doing better, then I'm financially more stable. And then I'm going to be able to be better for all the people around me. So for me, I looked at the situation. I looked at, okay, what is it that I want with the rest of my life? Does using anabolics correspond with what I want to do for the rest of my life? I also knew I never wanted kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So fertility was never an issue for me. Um, So I think those are the things that a lot of women don't think about before they get into anabolics that they need to consider in terms of like, all right, am I going to go down that path or not? Is not so much, don't so much focus on what's going on right now, right? Because if you focus on the now, you're going to, you think that your bodybuilding show that, you know, especially for those of, of like your listeners who are on the amateur level, um, that your bodybuilding show that's taking place in a high school auditorium where you're going to get a plastic trophy, is that worth you not being able to have kids? Yeah. Is that worth your voice changing for the rest of your life? Is that worth you, oh, like your clitoris being enlarged and you feeling insecure about that if, if, if you do for the rest of your life? Um, because I think, you know, we look at someone, you know, this is kind of an interesting example that we've just seen kind of come up and uh, Boston Lloyd, who just passed away at the age of 29. Now, if we look at Boston Lloyd's history, when he was in his early 20s, he was doing extreme amounts of anabolics. And I bring him up because when he was making those decisions, do you think that Boston Lloyd was considering the children he just left behind? Mm-mm. The kids that no longer have a dad that's going to be at their graduation or the dad that's not going to be there to see them get married and have kids, you know? So it's like, I want your listeners to also take in consideration that life can change and you have to really be okay. Like you think that the choices you're making now are only going to affect you. Well, what if you overdo it with the drugs now? You think right now that, oh, maybe having kids isn't really that important to me. You know, and then, you know, you end up in your late 30s and you meet Prince Charming and you guys are head over heels. You want to start a family. And guess what? Your decisions you made in your 20s to win that plastic trophy in that high school auditorium is now the reason you and Prince Charming can't have kids. And maybe Prince Charming isn't going to hang around because you can't have kids. You know, so it's like, I think that women need to really evaluate really like long-term what they want when they start thinking about anabolics, because unlike men, these, like the side effects that you can get from these things, they will last you a lifetime and they will change. Like they have the possibility of changing you forever. (laughs) And for men, when they do anabolics, they just become more manly. Like, there's no like, oh, oh, wow, you're a man who's more manly. Wow, that's a, like, that's, that's a, that's a turn on for most women, right? Mm-hmm. Where for women, you know, you overdo it with the anabolics. And now, you know, the rest of the world, you know, and I know that we shouldn't really worry about what other people think about us. But I think what some women don't consider is are like, do you have the character? And do you want to deal with dealing with people who are going to be very negative towards you or not being able to date, like your dating pool gets much smaller when you're a virilized woman. 
Uh, And I think a lot of women don't think about that as well. Uh, You know, I'm 37 now, I was married. And when I made a lot of my choices about anabolics, my thing was like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter anyway because my husband is okay with it. Yo, like just because you're married doesn't mean you're going to be married forever. And even if divorce is like against your religion, you would never get divorced and that would never happen. What happens if your husband dies? Like, you know, there are things that are going to be outside of your control. So, you know, one thing I think is important for women is like, have the agency to be the one that's in control of what you're doing with your own body. Absolutely. I think like, that was a really long winded answer. No, it was a great thing. You touched on so many things that I want to touch on. But I feel you're, you're absolutely right. Like, I don't think people understand like how one like innocent thing of, oh, using maybe like an Anavar cycle or Primabolin cycle, like how that could eventually, if you abuse it, lead you to looking like someone like Javier Bardem, which is like the country, no country for old men star, you know, it's like, you right. have that nasty, you know, side effects of virilization and that, that masculinity be developed. And if you're not okay with that, like, yeah, you can undergo some level of plastic surgery, but I mean, some side effects are just downright permanent. So I would love to go into is one, what is virilization Two, what are like the short-term and long-term side effects with dealing with any type of anabolic or even using things like maybe growth hormone and insulin. And then since you were like, in my opinion, like the queen of femininity, when it comes to PED use, how can women talk about with their coach, how to preserve that femininity? So, uh, you know, first of all, I think like, so, okay. So what is virilization? That's the first question. Virilization is when uh, we get the male side effects in, in females. So the, the things that you can see, that you're going to get the male side effects. So like the facial hair, the voice uh, being lower, um, even like hair on your body, clitoral enlargement. So those are like the physical things that you're going to be able to see that manifest that are like male attributes that you would get. Um, And that's from, you know, adding more like androgens in your body. So, uh, so we have, yeah, voice changing, hair on the face, uh, like losing the hair on your head. That's one that I forgot. Um, and the clitoral enlargement. And then women will also see like a reduction in breast tissue as well. Um, So again, it's, you know, sometimes what we see with women who really overdo it is they start to look, they start to look like women who are transitioning into men because that's what they are doing. Um, They literally are transitioning themselves into, like if we look at their hormone profile, a lot of times, they, you, if you didn't know it was a female you were looking at, uh, you know, the blood work, you would think you were looking at a man's. Right. Um, and so that that's virilization, you know, getting those male side effects. Um, and so I'm sorry, what was the next question after that? Yeah. So if a woman is interested in crossing over to using anabolics, what are some things that maybe they should consider or ask their coaches in how to preserve their femininity? So I think a better way to look at this is if you have a coach and they aren't asking you these questions, then you need to reevaluate whether that, you know, whether you should be working with that coach because these things are very important. So the first question that your coach should be asking you or the discussion that you guys should be having is what in your femininity, what does femininity mean to you? What in your femininity is important for you to preserve? Because not everyone is the same. Clearly, 
my idea of what femininity is and the things I am okay with not preserving, like my voice, like the hair on my face, I have hair on my chest, I have clitoral enlargement. Those, those are things that I clearly am okay with, but there are going to be other women who are completely not okay with those things. So I think the first understanding before coaches start talking about PEDs with their clients is like your coach needs to have an understanding of what femininity means to you because femininity is not one strict, no, not all of us have the same idea of what that is. So having your coach have an understanding of, all right, does your voice changing matter to you? Does losing hair on your head matter to you? Um, and if your coach isn't asking these questions, how are they supposed to create a cycle for you that's not going to compromise these things if they don't know that these aren't the things you want to compromise in the first place, right? So it's like, I think that's a first dialogue that really needs to happen with coach and client. Um, and then the next is like, are you healthy enough to start anabolics? Have, if they don't ask for your blood work ahead of time, like, how do you know where your base, how do you even know? Because here's the thing, adding in those anabolics are going to mess up your health. You know, they aren't they aren't good for us. Like, and that's another reason why, like, we can't stay on Anabar all year round, ladies. I'm sorry, as much as y'all want to, and you think that it's a fucking diet pill, it's not. It's an anabolic. Uh, and I hear that all the time where these women think things like Anabar adding in these anabolics are weight loss tools. They are not. They are they you are putting androgens in your body. Um, so you know, I think that, you know, also coaches having that dialogue with their clients of this is what this drug does to you. This is not a fat burner. This is not a diet tool. Um, but having those conversations of are you healthy enough to start making sure you get blood work ahead of time. Um, and if the blood work doesn't look good, fix the fucking blood work before you go on cycle. The one thing that I see all the time is women who come to me with fucked up blood work. And they're like, okay, give me a cycle now. Uh, no, like we got to fix your blood work first and then you can go on cycle and then we got to fix the blood work again. Um, because, you know, we can't, the one thing that you don't want to do as a woman is try using the anabolics to fix the problems in like, in why you're not losing weight or why you're not getting the results that you want, why you're not gaining the muscle that you want. Um, you know, anabolics should not be a band-aid for your shitty lifestyle choices. Right. Basically, like, and this is what I see, especially with a lot of like the smaller women who have a hard time putting on muscle is they want to use anabolics in order to keep on like chronically dieting, keep on chronically doing tons of cardio and overtraining and not doing the right thing for themselves. Um, so I think those are conversations that need to be had with coaches is blood work, what femininity is, and then, you know, your coach explaining to you, what does Anavar do to you? Because Anavar is not going to help. And here's the thing. If your coach can't explain to you how these things work in your body and what they're going to do to you, should they really be the one writing your protocol? You know, so if they can't educate you on these things, if they can't answer the questions that you have, you know, or if they give you a hard time about explaining to you why they have certain things in your protocol, you know, to me as a woman, I wouldn't want to work with someone like that. Absolutely. Like, you know, so I think it's like also taking a step back is if you have a coach that you sign on and they automatically, they don't ask you any questions, no blood work, nothing. And they give you a cycle. Well, 
what? <laughs> like, they don't even know how, like what you want to do in the sport. Um, I think another thing that coaches need to start asking is like, what are your goals in bodybuilding? Because I'm not going to give the same cycle, you know, just because I have two women in, in women's physique doesn't mean I'm going to give them the same cycle. Because I might have someone who's in women's physique that this is a hobby. She's got five kids. She's like, you know, she works as a, at a call center and has to answer phones all day. You know, like she, her life is completely different from my women's physique Olympian. Absolutely. I'm not going to give those two women the same cycle. So if you've got a coach that like, you know, they don't even ask, where are you going with this sport? And what are you willing to compromise? Because this is going to be something that maybe propels your career. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because the hobbyist is not going to be doing the same thing an Olympian is, right? Um, so it's like when people come to me, I, I get on a lot of podcasts and a lot of women will ask me, oh, uh, you know, what's a, what's a women's physique cycle or what's a figure cycle? <laughs> and it's like, well, what kind of life does the figure girl live? What is she, here's the thing. What does she want to compromise in her femininity? What is she not okay compromising? Where is she, what is, does she want to be an Olympian or is she okay just competing to keep on better, like bettering herself because it's something she loves to do, you know? So it's like, I think that coach is also asking, you know, what are you doing with this sport? And not only that, but like, what, you know, how is, you kind of compromising these things in your femininity that you think you want to compromise, how is that going to affect your career? How is it going to affect your marriage? How is it going to affect your relationship with your kids? How is it going to affect your relationship with all the other people around you? Are you mentally strong enough to deal with the adversity that comes with being a virilized woman? Because a lot of things that women don't think about is when your voice starts to drop, when you start growing hair on your face, when your facial stru structure starts to change, you have kids, you have, you have parents, you have whatever. And they ask like, what's going on? How are you going to answer them? Are you like, you know, so it's like thinking about these things too. Um, and I think coaches, I think there should be some responsibility on coaches there of really having this dialogue with your clients and, if your coach isn't having those questions and they're just willing to just dole you out a, you know, a cycle without seeing any blood work, without asking these questions, is that really someone you want to put your health in, in their hands, basically? Absolutely. And before we kind of dive into, are there like female friendly steroids? And I'm using that with air quotes and talking about cycle design. Why don't we discuss like how women can track these side effects and preserve their femininity. So for example, I know there's apps like Vocular that you can buy for like $3.99 that can measure, you know, your voice changing and you can record that on a weekly basis. You know, you can either take pictures or have maybe your significant other, maybe measure your clitoral size. Like, yeah, maybe a weird thing to do, but if it clit enlargement is something that you're not willing to negotiate, you need to be able to kind of like open it up down there and measure like obviously pictures with face and maybe even hair growth. Like, are there anything else that maybe you have your women, you know, track so that way we can be like, Oh, well, if we're noticing the side effects. Let's pull it. So that way we stop that. Right. And it's, it's really going to be dependent on what is important to that woman. Uh, you know, is it going to, is it the clitoral enlargement that is going to bother you? Is it the voice change? Uh, you know, things like voice change, what I, you know, somebody's really concerned about voice, one thing, like the, the thing that I ask my clients all the time, and actually before we even get into that, you know, the very first thing you should do before you, before you get on cycle, this, like you have to do it before you get on cycle, is write down the things you are not willing to compromise. Write them down, pen to paper, 
write them down. And you're gonna take that list and you are gonna give it to someone who is the brutally fucking honest with you and someone you trust with your life. And you're gonna give them that list and you're gonna say, I want you to fucking slap the shit out of me if I start compromising these things. And this might be your coach. This might be your significant other. Um, you know, I sometimes I'm a little weary about saying significant other because there are there are some men out there that like their women virilized, and they like when the clitoral the, like they you get clitoral enlargement. So that's why I say I think it's more important that it's someone you trust mm -hmm. and someone that you trust that truly has your interest in mind. Yeah, you and can give it to someone who maybe will benefit from a bigger click because then that's just exactly. a cop for guys. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like you really want someone who like you can really trust. And and I do this for as part of like my coaching with my clients is like I'm helping them track these things. I'm asking the right questions. So when it comes to voice, uh, you know, one, the first thing you're going to notice is when you laugh or when you try to sing, it's going to start to crack. So before you actually start to get that, like the, like really like any change in, in it overall, that's the first sign. So once I have women that are like, oh, okay, well, I was like singing the other day and or I laughed the other day and like my voice is cracking. Okay. We know that's really important to you. So we're going to, we're going to have to take you off of everything, uh, clear you out. And cause here's the thing, the longer you have those side effects and you stay on the drugs, the more likely that side effect is going to be permanent. <laughs> now, if you, your voice starts to crack and your voice is something you don't want to compromise, then you want to get off the drugs right away. You want to clear that out as soon as possible because some of those side effects, if you catch them early enough, then they will go away completely and you will not be stuck with a deep voice for the rest of your life. But the longer you let those side effects go, the more likely it is to be permanent. Same with the clitoral enlargement. The first thing that you're going to notice before you get the enlargement that's permanent is you're going to notice that it's just more sensitive down there. Um, so it's like if clitoral enlargement is the thing that you're concerned about, then once you feel that, like, that sensitivity, fucking come off. Uh, because it's only going to get worse as you stay on for longer. Um, and it really is also going to depend on, you know, how how much does that bother you? Like, is clitoral enlargement something that bothers you at all? I know for myself, like, it's only made my sex life better. Uh, I actually really, really enjoy it. And my partners have all really enjoyed it. Um, but it's a very personal thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with women who don't want to change the way that their clit looks. Um, and it just, you know, make sure that again, you are giving the task of, of like monitoring this with you with someone that you actually really trust. Because again, like if you're a little bit more sensitive down there and your clit a little bit bigger is also making you hornier, it's also making you more sexually active with your partner your partner might not say like, hey, let's pull the plug. He might be like, oh, this is fucking awesome. Right. Right. Like we're banging all the time now. Like she's all wild now. Like, you know, so he, like he might be like, I don't know. Like this is actually pretty good. Where after the cycle is done, you might look back and it's like, you know, your clit isn't going back to where it was before. And now you're not with that boyfriend anymore. And now you're trying to date, but now you feel weird and you don't want to get naked in front of anyone because you're afraid of what they're going to think of your clit. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I see with a, a lot of young women where 
you know, their boyfriend at the time is like, oh yeah, it's like, he, I don't care. It's sexy. It's awesome. It's great. And these girls are in their early twenties and they end up with per permanent like clit enlargement. And then, you know, a lot of them, they aren't confident enough after, and they end up being very lonely and depressed because they're, a f or they end up going into sex work. Uh, they're doing flex for pay and sex work because that like, that's the only way that they are getting, uh, you know, kind of like that instant gratification from male attention. Um, so it's like, we see these really like slippery slopes that women can go down um, if they aren't making a choice that is really right for them and really not tracking those things. Um, but I would say your number one advocate is like the person that you are really telling, you know, what those side effects are that you don't want. Um, but definitely like with the voice, it's the cracking, um, with the cl clitoris, if like, you don't want any change at all, once you feel that sensitivity, like I would always say, like, if it's something you really don't want to deal with, like get off and, and, you know, absolutely. No, that was absolutely a beautiful, beautiful answer. Now let's actually talk about, you know, are there female friendly steroids? Are there steroids that women should avoid? Because I think like everyone's go-to is like you kind of mentioned earlier, like popping Anavar with their multivitamin. Like, I feel like Anavar is kind of like, oh, well, that's just the female hormone and that it gets like such played lightly where it's like, oh, it's just Anavar, but it's still a fucking anabolic. Be like, oh, it's just right. Anavar. Like, right. And here's the thing. Is your Anavar really Anavar? Yeah. <laughs> so I think one thing to note for all the ladies out there um, right now, there is like I've talked to some people who, you know, they run underground labs and there is they're having a very hard time finding the uh, raw material for Anavar. So everyone should be testing their Anavar, even if it's coming from you know, the only people who shouldn't test their Anavar right now is if you are getting it from a pharmacy. Right. Like legit, you hand a prescription like over, they hand you a prescription bottle over and it's like done legitly through a doctor. Yeah. Otherwise y'all should be testing your shit because um, you're going to find a lot of fake Anavar out there right now. Um, so that's like the number one, con that's the number one concern is like, you know, even though you think you're doing something that's quote unquote safe for women, um, you know, a lot of things that are quote unquote safe for women are also the most expensive things for these underground labs to make. So guess what? You are dealing with an underground lab. Yep. They are, they are not, there is no regulation at all. These people are literally criminals. You think they give a flying fuck if they're given bikini girls, you know, D-ball instead of Anavar. No, they don't care. They only care about dollar signs. So, you know, I think women really need to be careful even in terms of like the things that we think are safe. Girls, like, you better be testing your shit right now, uh, especially with everything that's kind of like going on overseas where like that's where we get a lot of the raw materials for these things. So, um, you know, definitely something for women to be weary. Are there any female friendly drugs? No, I mean, here's the thing. Like we are not designed to have that many anabolics in our bodies. There's, there's no such thing as like female friendly. All of these things have potential side effects. All of them do. They all do. There is no drug that you are going to, can you have less side effects? Yes. Can you be a woman that takes something like Anavar that doesn't give you permanent clit enlargement, doesn't make your hair fall out, doesn't give you, sure. But guess what? It's still going to have some kind of side effect if you are overdoing it, if you're taking too much. Um, and 
you don't know how you're going to react because mm-hmm. I might take 20 milligrams of Anabar and I might have no side effects at all. Right. I might be fine. I'm like, I just get the result that I want. You, you might go on 20 milligrams of Anabar and your voice might change and like your clip might be enlarged. So is there any, no, there's no, there's no female friendly because we all are going to respond so very differently to these drugs. Um, now, are there drugs that I use more commonly for women than with men? Absolutely. And those are the drugs that are going to be less androgenic. So these compounds, they have kind of like this ratio of androgenic and uh, anabolic. And so the anabolic property of PE of like, a, you know, an anabolic steroid is the muscle building part, right? That's a part of the, the drug that all of us women really want. The androgenic part is the part that we don't want because that's going to give us all of those virilization side effects, right? So depending on where that drug is in that ratio is really going to help you determine like what drugs to stay away from. So those drugs with that really high androgen ratings and numbers, you know, the higher that androgen number is, the more likely it is that you're going to have those side effects. Mm -hmm. So picking drugs like Anivar, like Primo, um, you know, those drugs that have the lower androgens in them, uh, like, you know, especially that ratio, if the, the anabolic part of that ratio is much higher than the androgenic, that's what we're looking for. Um, but you've got to be careful because just because the anabolic is much higher, uh, if you still have a drug that the anabolic is much higher than the androgenic, but the androgenic is still at like 200. Right. Well, you girls, like you better get ready for a big clip. Uh, you know, and you better get ready for all those virilization sides. Cause just because, uh, and I think, I think trend might be one of those where like the anabolic is higher, but at the same time, like the androgenic is like, I don't know, I think trends like 500 or something. It's ridiculous. Um, so when we talk about compounds that are not okay for women, definitely trend, like never, I don't think like, there's not one division that a woman should ever do trend. Uh, like halostatin is another one. There is no reason for, like, I honestly don't even think men should use halostatin. Mm-hmm. I remember when my ex-husband was on a halostatin and I told him, I was like, I will, I will leave and never come back if you ever use that again, because it's, it's so harsh, even for men. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely trend, definitely like halostatin. Um, those are definitely two big no-nos. I, unless a woman needs testosterone for TRT, and what I mean by TRT is that you are getting your testosterone to normal physiological levels. I don't think that women need to be doing testosterone. I don't think women should be doing testosterone cycles. You are setting yourself up for sides to get virilized if you're doing testosterone. Now, when we talk about testosterone in the sphere of TRT, completely different story. If you are a woman who has low testosterone and you're going to use that testosterone to bring it to normal physiological levels, completely fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, when we talk about adding in, like adding in anabolics on top of TRT, it gets a lot trickier, Um, you know, because we're talking about overall like androgenic load on the body. So a lot of times what I'll actually do is either have my women come off their TRT completely when they use, um, or will lower it. It really, again, it's dependent on the woman. There is no cut and dry, this is how you should do it. And if you have a coach that's telling you, this is how you do it, this is how everyone does it, 
I had one coach that told this like 20 year old women's physique competitor that if she didn't do trend, she would never do well on the, like she would never get to the Olympia because every single women's physique competitor was doing trend. Like you've got to be really careful with what these coaches will even try to trick you into believing is true because I have never touched trend in my life. I never did to testosterone when I can like, I only do testosterone now for TRT and that's it. I never did it as a cycle, never did it as a competitor. So I don't think those are things that women should be using at all in order, like definitely not a testosterone cycle. And I think one thing that, especially for women, like your women who are want to use TRT, you want to get your TRT again to normal, physiological levels. If your testosterone is over a hundred, now you're doing a testosterone cycle. Right. I mean, that's just the doing same thing as doing TRT. That's like 250. It's like y'all full of shit. Well, here now, like, okay. So TRT like 250 for a guy. Yeah. That's actually a really good. That's a good number for a guy. I, that's generally what I have my men run for TRT is 250. That's a, that's a good dose. Have them even like microdose that even better. And again, that's going to depend on where did that male's level start in the beginning? Was he super low? Has he already completely desolated like his, his testosterone? Is his testosterone never coming back because he's been using gear for so long? There are a lot of different things, but really like 250 for TRT for a guy, that's, that's good. Now TRT for a woman, you put a woman on 250 for TRT. And I, this is what I see with HRT clinics, which is disgusting. HRT clinics giving women the same amount of TRT they would give for a man. Like literally 200 milligrams a week for these women. Yeah. Now I want to put a couple things in perspective for the women out there is that if you're doing the same amount of TRT as your husband or as a male is, you are going to give yourself a sex, you are giving yourself a sex change. That is what they give to women transitioning into men. So it's like, you know, also if you are doing TRT, you really, you need to be getting your blood work like every four weeks to make sure that that number is where it's supposed to be. Yep. Um, unfortunately, what I see with HRT clinics almost all the time, they overprescribe testosterone. Women end up with their testosterone in the four, five, you know, 600 range. You now, if I looked at your blood work, you're like, I, I could look at that blood work and be like, oh, that's, that's a dude. Right. Guy. That's a guy. That's not, I'm not looking at a woman's like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And literally like you, you would like, if your test is that high, like you're literally, you're going through like therapy for a sex change. Like you're, it's not TRT anymore. Um, so it's like, if we want to talk about TRT, I think women really need to be more mindful of if you're going to an HRT clinic or if you're doing your TRT yourself, and you're in, like, even though you might feel, feel okay at the time, at the time, you like having levels of five, six, four, two, 300 of tests, like you better believe that you better, like you better prepare yourself for side effects. You bet not, and not only are we talking about virilization, but your body as a woman is not designed to handle that amount of testosterone. If you continue to use TRT at super physiological doses, that's like being on a testosterone cycle for years. Right. Like, and so when we think about that, you're going to have issues with your heart, issues with your liver, 
with your kidney. Uh, and, and you have all these downstream effects on your health that TRT is in, you know, with women who really need it, it's going to improve health markers. It's going to improve longevity. But when you are going over the amount of testosterone, you are going to make your health markers worse and you are going to shorten your lifespan. So I, I think that's one really important thing to note with women with TRT is you, even though you think that it's going to be the best thing for you to have these like awesome amounts of testosterone, like, you know, really for your health and your longevity, if you're doing a testosterone cycle for, you know, cause TRT, once you're on TRT, you're, that's it. Like you're on it for life. So if you start TRT and I'm air quoting TRT and you know, your testosterone is like over a hundred and you start at 30 you're going to be on that for the rest of your life. What do you think that's going to do to the, to what's that going to do to your heart? Like your cholesterol is going to be out of control. Your, your body as a woman is not designed to handle that much testosterone. Those many androgens. You're also going to have issues with like, I see women who overdo it with the HRT or the TRT. They've got gut issues. So they can't digest food. They've got gut issues. They can't lose body fat because they're aromatizing too much. Uh, and they generally feel like garbage. Um, you know, their skin looks like shit. They like, they get like leather face. It's not something again, like you are literally taking a testosterone cycle for long periods of time. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's going to have effects on blood glucose, insulin resistance. Um, I see that all the time with women who overdo their TRT. Um, and then it's like, you know, again, going back to the coaches is, all right, say you're a woman who's on TRT and you come to a coach and they give you an anabolic cycle. Well, it's very, and they don't ask for blood work. Well, how do they know that your TRT is in a good place to add anabolics in the first place? Because uh, the higher you have that TRT, you know, if you've got your TRT where you're, you know, you're on the high end of normal, you know, say you're at your, your testosterone's at like 80. Well, when you add in the anabolics, you better believe you, you are going to have a much higher chance of virilization than if you had your TRT down to like 50, right? So depending on a lot of times, like depending on where, you know, where women have that TRT number is also going to determine, all right, what are the things that we're actually going to be able to do when it comes to cycling anabolics? And do we want to maybe bring the test down so we can get the results from that we're looking for from the anabolics? Absolutely. And I think it's important to talk about how, again, individualization is because I have two women on TRT, one's doing an injectable and the other one is a cream. And the cream was through an HRT clinic and, you know, they checked her levels and she was doing like 10 or 13 milligrams a week in her, you know, cream in her inner labia her test came back 300. I was like, you're going to wow. start realizing if we don't cut that shit down. So like, that's so. actually really surprising for a cream. Exactly. I was, wow. I was flabbergasted. I've actually never, ever heard that in a cream before. I was flabbergasted. I was like, we need to cut this shit down. I was like, if you start noticing voice cracking, like clit sensitivity, I was like, we need to lower that dosage. But conversely, in another girl that's on TRT, that's injectable, you know, she was running 10 milligrams a week and her total test came back 20. And also she feels yeah. like shit. So it's right. like, it just shows you like, you know, different applications of testosterone right. along with like just being a different human being. Right. That shit checked because you just do not know. Yes. You can go off some side effects and symptoms, but like, don't fucking guess. Like it's your health. Right. Don't fucking guess. 
Right. And I think, you know, I know that you kind of wanted to touch on the topic of like women like blasting and cruising. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think what we need to understand as women is we don't want to be on TRT when we are like, you don't want to be on TRT or HRT if you can avoid it. Mm -hmm. That is like, you want to avoid that at all costs. So ideally as women, what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to go on our anabolic cycle and then come off our anabolic cycle, clear out, do a PCT. And that PCT is going to help bring our natural hormonal balance back. And we want our own testosterone to come back. Mm -hmm. We want our own estrogen, our own progesterone. We want all of that to come back because that is a sign of youth and vitality that is going to keep you young. We want our body functioning on its own. We want our body functioning on its own. That's ultimately what we want to do. So, you know, I think there comes a point uh, where, yes, like doing TRT in between cycles is a, like a really good option and a really good viable option. And I think that is really for women who have already tried to bring up their natural testosterone and it's just not coming back up. And usually that is because of age, you know, women who are over 40, over 45, you know, that age bracket, very common for that to happen. You know, if, but if you're 20, if you're 30, you need to work on getting that testosterone back on its own. And here's a big reason why that doesn't happen after cycles for women is they run their cycles for too long. They don't PCT in between cycles. So they aren't, they aren't giving themselves time between cycles for their own natural production to come back in the first place. So too long of cycles, not giving themselves lo like long enough breaks in between cycles. And uh, I think another one is just lifestyle choices where I think a lot of women like want to use TRT as a Band-Aid because they aren't eating right. They aren't training the right way. They're not working on the recovery. They're not sleeping. They're, they're overstressed. And instead of taking care of the things in their fucking life and actually like doing the right things for their body and their health and their life, they're using TRT as a Band-Aid because yeah, they still have low testosterone. Well, you know what? Like don't go to just the, the fucking pill and the, and the drugs in order to, to manage your shitty fucking lifestyle choices. You know, it's like, if you want longevity in this sport, if you want to stay young, if you don't want to look like you're fucking 50 when you're 30, you know, then you want to avoid having to go on TRT. You're going to, you want to avoid having your own natural hormone like production stop. We don't want our, we don't want to go into premature menopause. We don't want to stop our own natural hormones from like, from producing. So being able to take more time off of the anabolics is going to help that making sure that you do PCT in between cycles is going to do that. And making sure that you're not taking fucking anabar year round is going to help do that. Um, you know, these, you know, women really need to start thinking of these at like these drugs is what they are. They're fucking drugs. They're not diet pills. Uh, they're not band-aids for your shitty lifestyle. So, uh, you know, I think there's a time and a place for adding in TRT in between cycles. I think it happens way too fast for women who are way too young. Um, and I think that if you're working with like maybe like a coach that you are under 40 
And they don't even try to give you the time off to get your natural hormones back. They don't try anything to get those back in between cycles or tell you to take more time off to get things back to normal. You know, they don't have your longevity in mind. Um, what they probably see is, oh, you know, I'm going to make this girl into a champion. I'm going to make this girl, uh, you know, she's going to do better at shows, you know, faster. And that's going to give me a better name. Um, where if, you know, because here's the thing as women, it's if you want to do things in a way that preserves your health, that preserves, preserves your femininity, you are going to have to be more patient. You aren't going to be one of these women who is, you know, doing cycles more on in the year than off. Um, and it's like those, the problem with those women, the women, the women that do the gear more often than, they, than not, that don't take the time off, that are always on cycle, they aren't around for very long. Yeah. And you wonder why, like, you know, you, we see these women in the sport and they'll be around for like five, maybe five years. And then all of a sudden they fucking disappear. And we're like, oh, where are they all fucking go? And we don't, you know what? We don't even think about where they go anymore. You know why? Cause there's a new batch of 20 something year olds coming up the, you know, coming up every single day. So when one disappears, there's just, you know, 10 other ones behind them that are going to replace them. So, uh, and that's another really good way to look at it as a woman is like, like you, you don't disappear as a woman. Like you don't just disappear after five years of doing this. Like you, like, this is your body. They might disappear from social media, but guess what? you are going to have to actually live in that body and deal with what they're doing behind the scenes. Uh, like, because when these women disappear, it's because they can't even get in fucking shape anymore. They, they don't even, they can't even get in shape to wear a bikini on the beach anymore. Uh, you know, they're dealing with all these health ramifications and, you know, their physiques are not able to look the way that they've been, been able to look with all the drugs. So, you know, it's like you see all like the pretty side of it. But then when these women disappear, you don't understand that you are going to have to go through all the things you're not seeing behind the scenes. Um, so I think that's something for, you know, women to kind of think of too is, you know, long-term, what is this, you know, what is this, am I going to be able to even be around in this sport long-term? You know, how long do I want this career to be? Absolutely. I know we're coming up on, on an hour, but I want to kind of highlight some things that you just said one, women need to PCT. Uh, there was a school of thought back in like 2020 where it was like, women don't need to PCT. Um, yes, we do. We still need to PCT. And there's also this thing, especially on Reddit, I'm sure other like bodybuilding forums where it's like, well, when can I do my next cycle? And they're like, oh, well, school of thought is for however long your cycle was, you should be off that cycle. So if you ran a 12 week cycle, you should at least be off for 12 weeks. Where the fuck are you getting that from? You need to right. restore your internal health. And if you, I think you might be delusional if you think that's right. going to be a 12 week fix. Like it takes right. as long as it fucking needs to take. Like if you're going right. to be responsible and use, you need to take ownership for your health and you need to make sure that you have a coach that gives a fuck. Right. And generally what I do with women is after they come off cycle, we'll run like a general PCT for about six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that six week mark, we'll check blood work and we'll see, all right, What's still fucked up in blood work? What do we still need to fix? Um, and then we keep in the health supplements and, you know, so see if we still see liver enzymes are up, maybe hormones are still off. Uh, we'll keep on like attacking that until those things get better. And you're right. Like there's going to be some instances where, you know, six weeks, six weeks later, everything looks great. And that's usually the women who do short cycles and don't do, don't take a lot of gear. And then, you know what, like six weeks later, everything looks really great. 
Um, the other thing other than the blood work looking really good is I, especially for women who are still getting their menstrual cycle. So women who are not through menopause, making sure they get their period three times before they go into another cycle. Um, you know, I know that we've kind of demonized estrogen and we've demonized menstruation and getting your period. Women like to wear not getting a period as a badge of honor because, oh, I'm so lean. I don't get my period anymore. Like they think it's wonderful. Um, and I know that we hate getting it and it's an inconvenience to us. But ladies, trust me, you do not want to go without your period. Again, it is a sign of youth and vitality. Um, you want to stay younger, longer. I know I sure as hell do. Like you do not want to be going through premature menopause. And I think that's something I see way too often in this sport is women who chemically put them in them, themselves into premature menopause because they abuse anti-estrogens and they abuse anabolics. Right. Absolutely. A lot of people don't understand like estrogen's not a demon hormone. It's like kind of like cortisol, right? right? Everyone's like, oh, cortisol sucks. Cortisol is the reason why you're alive. It's what's the ratio, what's the balance. So like, you know, right. estrogen is neuroprotective, it's cardioprotective, like again, youth and vitality, like it's a very important hormone. Yeah. It sucks, Absolutely. you know, bleeding once a month, but like you said, it's a sign of your health. It's like, what is it? The, the sixth vital sign, fifth vital sign for a woman. Very, very true. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, once you get through menopause, a lot of negative things are going to happen in your body and that's going to prematurely age you. Mm -hmm. And not only physically is that going to prematurely age you, like you're going to start looking older, but in like, I don't know any woman who wants to fucking look older. I know I sure as hell don't mm -hmm. like, so you're going to be looking older at a much younger age, but the inside of your body is also going to age much faster. You know, you're going to have bone health issues. Um, I also see women who, you know, they've abused so many anti-estrogens that even on like TRT, they aren't really aromatizing enough estrogen for them to feel good. Um, so I think that's another thing women need to watch out for is, uh, you know, it's not always just the testosterone that's low that's not making you feel good. A lot of times I'll have women will get their testosterone in a really good place and estrogen is still crashed. Yep. And that's why they still get the achy joints, why they can't recover from workouts still. Um, you know, generally why are, they're just still feeling really shitty. And even like libido, you know, they're like, their testosterone's at 100, but they have no libido. And it's like, well, that's because your estrogen's at like 10. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, another problem we see with like HRT clinics is they will keep your testosterone at like 500, and if you are aromatizing too much, they just give you anti-estrogens. So let's not bring the test down. Let's just give them more drugs. Um, and, and you know, the, and I, the reason we see that in HRT clinics is because they make money off of the drugs you are buying. So they're not going to take away money by taking the drugs down. They're going to give you another drug to deal with the side effects. Um, and same thing is like, I've heard a lot of women who get advice for like their PED protocols from the people they buy gear from. And I'm like, oh, well, the guy said that I should take, you know, 50 milligrams of Anavar every day and I should be taking 100 milligrams of, of Primo every other day. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Cause you know what? You're going to run out of that a lot quicker and you're going to buy more from him. Like, right. ladies, like, I would never take drug advice from my drug dealer um, because his interest is in his pockets. Yep. Um, he doesn't give a shit about whether or not you virilize or whether, like, he kind of cares if you're alive, um, because then you can keep on buying stuff from him. But other than that, he don't give a fuck what happens to you, Absolutely. you know? So I think women need to also be weary of, like, 
again, with coaches, with drug dealers, with everything, you know, where are you actually getting your advice from and who really has your interests, you know, at heart? Absolutely. That was a great, a great thing to sum up everything. Jamie, where can the people find you? Where can they, they find you on Instagram? Where can they watch your awesome YouTube channel? So on Instagram is Jamie Pinder 14 and my new YouTube channel is cats, clits and clen. Uh, and that really like, you know, that information, I really wanted to put that out there for women. Um, you know, some of it is a little bit more in depth and kind of like a little bit more like science based. And then some, a lot of it is just really giving women an idea of the realities of what it's actually like to live in a virilized body. Because I think there are a lot of things that women don't even consider when they think about, oh yeah, I'm ready to start anabolics. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it's a a big eye opener. It's a lot of the information that I wish I had when I had first started uh, bodybuilding. Absolutely. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your perspective, you know, educating the audience. I hope they gained a lot of information. I know I certainly did. Good. I, yeah, I'm hope, I hope that you guys got, you know, a lot out of this and definitely like if you guys go to the YouTube channel, there are other things you want me to talk more in depth about. I'm always reading the comments and honestly, like the way I decide what I'm going to like create in videos next is I read the comments and I see what you guys want. So if there's a particular topic that you guys are really interested in me, like really diving deep on, um, definitely leave me some comments and I'm, I'm really trying to hit everything for everyone. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. This was Jamie Pinder, everyone. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you.